Good morning and welcome to York City Church live from here at the Citadel. My name is Peter and we're going to begin today by reading the scriptures from Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptised? And he commanded the chariots to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Well, what a strange series of events. Philip is woken up by the Spirit of the Lord, and he's told to get out of bed and head south towards Gaza. On the way down, he meets this Ethiopian eunuch, sat in his chariot reading the scriptures aloud, and Philip's invited to jump in and ride with him. And whilst that happens, there's this conversation about the scriptures that ensues. Then, all of a sudden, the eunuch sees some water, and he jumps in and is baptised. And then the story ends with Philip being miraculously transported to another town, and we never hear of this eunuch again. It's a very strange story indeed. There are two things before we jump into today's passage that I feel are helpful whenever we consider the book of Acts. Firstly, the reason for Acts being written, and secondly, the direction of travel of the book of Acts. So Acts was written by Luke as a sequel to his gospel. And in the first sentence in Acts, he says, in his first book, talking about the gospel according to Luke, as we would now call it, he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach 
The implication being that while the Gospel of Luke deals with what Jesus started to do, this book, this book of Acts, is what Jesus continued to do and continues to do on earth by the power of his Holy Spirit working in his church. So whenever we read the book of Acts, we need to keep that in mind, that this isn't just a random series of events, but this is the continuation of the work that Jesus began and will one day complete. But also, but also that we should find that whilst reading the book of Acts, Jesus is continuing his ministry by the power of his Spirit. So that even today, even this morning, we might be drawn back to the Father through Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit. And secondly, it's helpful to remind ourselves of the final words of Jesus before his ascension into heaven in order to understand the direction in which Acts travels. He says in Acts 1 verse 8 that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the disciples are to receive the Holy Spirit and the power that is given to them will be so that they can be witnesses to Jesus. They will do this in Jerusalem, which is the city where they're currently located, the spiritual home of Israel, but also in Judea, which is the area to the south, and it's in Samaria, which is the area to the north, the home to the Samaritans, this group of people that the Jewish community looked down upon us and treated as the outsider. But they would not just stop there. They would be doing this witnessing thing all the way to the ends of the earth. And that perhaps shouldn't have been a surprise to them, nor should it be a surprise to us, as the purposes of God have always been for the whole of the earth to know his glory and to return to him. So it's both the continuation of Jesus' work and the direction of travel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth that I wish to be the background music for us today as we return to the encounter between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So Philip's been on the scene since Acts chapter 6. He's appointed a deacon in the early church in Jerusalem. He's no stranger to spreading the good news and Jesus and has already traveled preaching and teaching in Samaria. And our ears should immediately prick up, therefore, that the Philip, the one who was appointed a deacon in Jerusalem, has already expanded his ministry to those in Samaria. And we certainly start to see and hear those words of Jesus echo again, that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and maybe to the ends of the earth. Then enters the second character, the Ethiopian eunuch, who, whilst we never find out their name, we're given a surprising level of detail about them. Firstly, we're told that they're Ethiopian, which at the time of writing Acts would have been referring not just to the country we now call Ethiopia, but indeed more broadly the region south of Egypt. And the particular area where this Ethiopian eunuch is from is likely to be what we now call Sudan. Contemporary readers and hearers of Acts had a significant interest and intrigue in Ethiopia and Ethiopians. So for them, hearing that the eunuch was from Ethiopia would have elicited a different response to perhaps we have now. Ancient Greek historians describe the Ethiopian people as the tallest and most handsome most of all the peoples and the father most of men. The general theme is that of Ethiopia, 
being at the extremities of the world. And even multiple Old Testament passages attest to this and describe Ethiopia as the border of the known world. So hearing that the eunuch is from Ethiopia is perhaps an indication of the ends of the earth. And where have we already heard that in Acts? Already slightly interesting, hey? The Ethiopian is also a eunuch. And Luke seems to go to great lengths to stress this fact to us. It's by far the most common descriptive word he uses. He uses it five times in just in this short passage. So being an eunuch was often a requirement of the job like the one he had. We're told that he was in charge of the queen's treasure, and therefore he would have probably been castrated and likely dismembered in order to serve his queen by looking after her cash. The major reason cited for this procedure taking place on on high officials like him is that they would have been unable to have children, thus meaning that they were likely not to steal the cash and try and start their own dynasty. However, in the Acts text, it's often the eunuch's importance rather than his impairment that is at the forefront. He has this super important job in charge of all the queen's money, and he rides in this chariot which he can command to stop and to start. This paints a picture of someone who's from both wealth and high social status in his hometown. But this for us is just where the story gets a little bit more interesting. We're told that the eunuch's reason for travel from Ethiopia to Jerusalem was to worship. And it was on his return journey that this encounter with Philip occurs. We then have to ask, how did the eunuch come to desire to worship the God of Israel that would make him travel all the way from Ethiopia just to do so? You see, entrance into the Jewish faith was primarily through blood inheritance and circumcision, both of which would have been a significant issue for, people, for, for the eunuch from Ethiopia. It was incredibly unlikely for him to be born into a Jewish family, unlikely impossible for him to be circumcised as a convert for obvious reasons. Therefore, it's most likely that he was a Gentile, basically meaning someone not of the Jewish faith. Despite all this, the eunuch's desire to worship was strong, strong enough to travel all that way from Ethiopia. So on arriving in Jerusalem, he would have been on a mission to seek out the temple, a place to offer sacrifice, a place where the presence of God was believed to dwell, a place where he could encounter God. But what kind of reception would this person, who had traveled all the way from the proverbial ends of the earth, have received? Was it, he was of a different racial and ethnic origin. He was a Gentile and he was a eunuch. How would he have been received? Well, firstly, as we've seen, his identity as an Ethiopian would have brought much mystique and intrigue. But unlike in the West over the recent centuries, there's no direct evidence that his ethnicity and race would have led to a prejudicial reception. It is, however, super important at this stage in the text to begin to reflect on our own reception and relationship with people of different races and ethnicities, and indeed our reception to anyone who is different to us. A point which we'll return to more fully in a short while. Secondly, him being a Gentile would have meant a significant level of exclusion from the acts of worship for which he had traveled so far. 
on arrival at the temple, he would have at most been permitted to enter the court of the Gentiles, which is one of the outer courts of the temple, but certainly wouldn't have been allowed to venture any further inside. Those spaces were deemed only acceptable for true Jews. However, the final blow in the man's desire to worship God in the temple would have been due to him being a eunuch, with the religious gatekeepers citing Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 1, which says, No one who has been emasculated by cutting or by crushing may enter the assembly of the Lord. So from the point of view of Judaism, this would have put the man permanently on the fringes of the religion in which he was showing great interest, permanently outside the acceptance into the temple, permanently isolated from the community of believers, and permanently excluded from the presence of God. So when Philip meets the eunuch, he's heading south on his return journey to Ethiopia. And whilst we're not told explicitly it would probably be a safe assumption to make that whilst the journey to Jerusalem was one of anticipation and excitement at the prospect of worship, the return journey would have been one of disappointment and sadness with the reality of exclusion ringing large. As Philip catches up with the chariot, he hears the eunuch reading aloud from what we now call the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch responds by saying, how can I unless someone guides me? And this is the first of three questions that the eunuch asks of Philip. So the eunuch invites Philip to sit with him in the chariot. And this is where we find that the eunuch was reading an almost exact section of scripture, an exact quote from Isaiah 53 verses 7 to 8, which is at the heart of the fourth servant song. The servant songs are four poems in the latter half of the prophet Isaiah that depict this character of a servant who's going to enact God's plan for creation. They're going to be this royal agent who establishes justice on earth. They're going to be one who leads the nation of Israel and bring light to the Gentiles. They'll be one who will not crush the hurting, but bring word to the weary. They'll be faithful to the Lord over everyone and everything else, and their faithfulness would lead to their suffering. But their suffering would be the method for their accomplishing victory, and it'd be in their suffering that this would happen, rather than despite their suffering. The fourth servant song, from which the eunuch was reading, describes the servant as one who is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Perhaps, therefore, it's no surprise that the eunuch chose this section of Scripture to read. Having just been excluded from the worship that he so sought to, be part- to participate in, perhaps himself returning home in sorrow and grief at what had just happened in Jerusalem, there's probably no surprise that he would choose to read the passage that talks about the one who was humiliated and excluded to the point where his life was prematurely taken Do you ever get those moments where the words and the themes of Scripture describe your feelings, your emotion, your situation more than any words you could muster yourself? Over some of the most difficult moments in my life over the last year, it's often been the painful words of Scripture where I found solace. And this might sound strange, but companionship and kinship 
Despite centuries of time difference, I found a relationship with people that trod similar paths, felt similar things. And it's often been the case that though I am the one reading the words of Scripture, Scripture has been the one reading me, allowing me to feel what I feel and almost telling me sometimes what I feel. I wonder if that's what's happening for the eunuch as he reads these words from Isaiah. He's found a companion in his moment of desolation and pain. And even in that moment of pain, he had the humility to ask someone to guide him through the scriptures, to interpret them for him, to help him understand, to help make him make sense of the pain of his experience within the realities of scripture. And we all need a guide. We all need someone to open our eyes, to help us see Jesus in the scriptures. And we need, all need the humility to ask and to treasure friends who interpret the scriptures to allow them to speak as if God is speaking directly to us. And then next, the eunuch asks his second question. And it's a very, very astute one. He basically asks, is the prophet Isaiah talking about himself? Or is he talking about someone else? And there's an unbelievably large amount that could be said in answer. However, Philip quickly responds by interpreting the scriptures about Jesus. He tells him the good news of Jesus. The text says, Then Philip opened his mouth, which is a really interesting phrase that I just want us to note for now. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, beginning with Isaiah 53, He told him the good news about Jesus. I'd love to know what Philip said to him. He started here in Isaiah, but where did he go? What was available to him? What did he say? I'm as sure as can be that he certainly interpreted the suffering servant in Isaiah in the light of the recent historical fact of Jesus' rejection by the religious elite, his undeserved suffering and death on a cross, and his resurrection from the dead. That it was Jesus and no other that offered up his life as a sacrifice to sin and justified many by bearing their iniquities, exactly as Isaiah had written about the obedient servant. And if Philip's exposition was telling a historical fact of Jesus' undeserved suffering and death is certain, then equally certain in that moment and now, that through Jesus' death and suffering, men and women of all nations have experienced forgiveness and redemption, just as the prophet Isaiah foretold also. If this bit was true, then this bit is also. And here we see Philip doing exactly the same thing that Jesus began by doing and teaching, interpreting the scriptures about himself. We see here the continuation of Jesus' work here on earth, and do we remember that as the mood, mood, mood music for Acts? And therefore, we too should seek to follow with the task of interpreting the scriptures all in the light of Jesus' death and his resurrection. But within that, we can be forgiven for wanting the right formula, the golden bullet, the right words to say. But I think for the, the eunuch, at least, the interpretation that Philip offered was much more personal and therefore much more profound than a one-size-fits-all approach. That quite literally the eunuch 
who had left Jerusalem rejected and excluded, was told also of the one who was rejected and excluded from the city in order that the eunuch might be included. Whilst Philip may have started in Isaiah 53, my imagination and my hopes really, really, really want them to have continued reading to Isaiah 56, where the eunuch's reality gets fully caught in the prophet's crosshairs. It says this in Isaiah 56. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. You see, the prophet Isaiah had already foretold of the events that we see playing out here. That one day the foreigner will not be able to say that the Lord will separate him from his people. And what, we, and what do we see here in Acts chapter 8? The foreigner, the one from out of town, the Ethiopian from the proverbial ends of the earth, being wildly accepted by God and being made part of his people. No longer was the eunuch to be a dry tree, but one who would flow with, with the life in a rich forest of believers. This conversation with Philip was to have a profound and instantaneous effect on the eunuch. And now we hear in his excitement at seeing some water, he asks, what prevents me from being baptized? And the answer to this question seems much shorter than the previous. And I wonder if Philip just gave the one word answer of nothing. Nothing stops you from being baptized. All that did hold you back, all that did prevent you from participating in worship, all that did exclude you no longer counts in Jesus. Whereas you were prevented from entering Judaism through the inability to be circumcised, now there is nothing stopping you from entering into life in Christ through baptism in water. Jump in, my friend. And that's what happens. And the eunuch comes out rejoicing overwhelmed with joy. What a beautiful picture of one who sought to worship God, found himself rejected and excluded, becomes wonderfully accepted and overwhelmed with joy. What a beautiful picture. And the story ends in almost as strange a way as it began. Philip is transported off to continue his ministry in the north, in what appears to be in the most unexpected of ways, reminiscent of Elijah. I like to imagine the look on Philip's face as he suddenly appears in this different town. And as for the eunuch, we never hear of him again. What we can say, though, this is at least a taste of what God is doing for people to the ends of the earth, despite this interaction happening a lot closer to home. It'd be almost romantic of us to understand that the um, Ethiopian church began not long after the eunuch's return. Whilst we don't know, we wonder the effect on that whole area of the world from this one interaction. And certainly now, we in York, in 2021, have experienced that God has gone to the ends of the earth if they thought Ethiopia was far away, what would they think to this reality, broadcasting something over the internet in 2021? So to draw this morning to a close, I want to leave us with two reflections on this scripture for us to ponder this coming week. And firstly, I want us to think about inclusion and exclusion. 
I'm left astonished again at the reality of, of who is included and who is excluded from the kingdom of God. That me, a Gentile, one far off, a sinner with no righteousness to call my own, one very, very much on the outside of religion in Israel, I find myself delightfully, wonderfully, mesmerizingly included by God, welcomed into his family, accepted, treasured, forgiven, beloved. And absolutely none of it my own doing. Absolutely none of it my own doing at all. Because the reason for my inclusion by God was the exclusion of his son and his death on the cross. That Jesus took my place of being rejected and excluded so that I could be accepted and included. How quick am I to forget that? Therefore, if Jesus has dealt with me at the cross, if he has experienced the rejection that was meant for me at the cross, if he has drawn me into his accepted life through the power of his Holy Spirit, then who am I to decide whether consciously or subconsciously, who can be accepted into the people of God? Who am I to put limits on the reach of God? Who am I to be like the gatekeepers at the temple of today's story who exclude in the name of godliness? Indeed, it's in truth, it is godlessness that excludes people from the kingdom of God, whether that be based upon race or gender or background or social statement, status, education or knowledge, employed or unemployed, the list goes on and on. Because the reality is that the point of exclusion fell on Jesus at the cross in order that we might be included and participate in throwing open the gates to include those from every walk of life and indeed to the ends of the earth. That, brothers and sisters, is the church's calling by the power of the Holy Spirit. And my final thought today is in the unrelenting beauty in what God did for this rejected man who sought after him. Because in reality, I've not spoken loads about what God's hand in all of this, but I want it to be the thing that rings in our ears as we finish. This was all God's work. At the start of the scriptures that we read today, we see God's initiating voice to Philip through the angel of the Lord to rise and to go south down the road to Gaza. It was the spirit of the Lord that sent Philip over to join the chariot where he heard the eunuch reading aloud. And then we get to that interesting phrase that I mentioned earlier, Philip opened his mouth. Philip opened his mouth and he told him the good news of Jesus. This translates a biblical expression, stoma, which literally means opening. But in his gospel, Luke uses this phrase 10 times with the implication that it is God doing the opening. Almost like God is placing the words in Philip's mouth, causing them to come pouring out. And in this encounter, which is so evidently instigated and inspired by God, we should not be surprised that, that Philip's answers to the eunuch's questions are not his to give, but God's alone. This beautiful moment where the rejected Ethiopian eunuch is being addressed directly by God himself. What a beautiful thing for this man. 
It was God that orchestrates the whole event. In this story, it would be fair to say that Philip does what he's told and very little else. If anything, this trip is an inconvenience for Philip in the thrust of Acts. The long distances he had to travel. Philip has to head south out of his way, out from where he was being fruitful in his ministry, away from the crowds, into the desert, no one around to see or to hear. And I kind of find this teleportation event at the end is almost acknowledgement of this. It's almost like God saying, okay, Philip, you get back to what you were doing. God saw this rejected, hurting Ethiopian eunuch who desired him, and he moves heaven and earth to draw him in and to fill him with joy. What a God we worship. Brothers and sisters, if this morning you are in a place of exclusion, rejection, pain, grief, sorrow, know that God is great. He is most worthy. Allow his beauty to fill your vision and know that he seeks you out to draw you to him and to show you the one who walked the path of rejection, of pain and sorrow in order that you might know him today. May he fill you and us all with joy overflowing with all praise to God. That's all for this morning. I look forward to catching up with you shortly on Zoom. Have a great day.